Hey, Stokers. Welcome back to Beth and Body Parts. Today, we're continuing our case on Kendrick Johnson. In the last episode, you heard about how 17-year-old Kendrick was found dead at his school and how law enforcement and Kendrick's family both had very different ideas of what had happened to him. We're picking up today with the family exhuming Kendrick's body for a second private autopsy. flag was that in the original autopsy documents, he had noticed that Kendrick's lungs were a normal weight. And he said that ordinarily, if you are suffocating, your body will slowly break down and change the weight of your organs. I don't understand how any of that works, by the way. Like, (laughs) I don't know anything about organ weight. Like, I'm just going based off of what he said. Exactly. (laughs) I have no idea. We're just reporting the facts here. The facts as somebody else reports them, basically. Yes. (laughs) Now, when Kendrick was exhumed, Dr. Anderson went to open the body and Kendrick's organs were not there. And this becomes, I'm going to say, the absolute crux of the parents and the family's complaints with this case. Yes. However, I do just want to point out that in everything that I have researched... This is not an abnormal practice at all for the organs to be removed. Yes. The organs have to be removed during the autopsy. Yes. Obviously. And it is very common for them to not be put back in. They can be donated for science to be, Mm -hmm. you, you know, that's how we learn about the body and different diseases. Sometimes they're put back in. Sometimes they're not put back in. We're going to get into this a little bit more. So the the president of the Medical Examiners Association in the documentary said that this was not normal practice and that they are supposed to be placed in a bag, which is then put back in the body. The organs were placed in a bag, but they were not put back in the body in this case. So the organs were essentially missing. And what was found in the body was newspaper. And his aunt said that they had stuffed newspaper in him like a garbage can. Now... Again, not completely unheard of practice here. It is harped on so much. Like, why yes. would you put newspaper? Like, this is this is it. This is the yep. the smoking gun, guys. Right. But again, it's very common for the organs not to be put back in. Yeah. Which is something that gets missed in this case a lot. Normally, newspaper is not what is used now. It is usually sawdust or something similar. However. Mm-hmm. I was reading that it was normal practice before, years before, to use newspaper. So I do think that it's very possible that other places do use newspaper and maybe we just don't even know about it, right? Yeah, yeah. It's almost like exhuming a body is not, it's not super duper common, right? And so I, I don't know, I don't know, but I can see how for a family that is already going through this trauma, how this would seem like the worst thing that could have been found. Like, I understand that, how it would be upsetting, but it's also like something that has been done before. So, you know. And I I do think if you read online or sometimes if you listen to 
certain podcasts or you read social media yeah. or blogs, they're going to say, this is it. This is the definitive yep. sign yes. that something shady happened and there's a cover up. But I just yeah. don't think that's the case. I honestly don't think that the organs are indicative of any kind of a problem. I do feel like it was probably not communicated properly because... Right. Oh, yes. You know, I, I think if it is common practice, they should have just come out and said that. Yes. And a lot could have been avoided in this situation. Now, I, I think that what pointedly gets left out often is that the organs were kept and they were returned to the family. That is almost not ever mentioned. Yes. Yes. But they were given in a bag, the kind of bag where they would normally be placed inside the bag back in the body because that's, they're not putting organs. When you do an autopsy, you're not putting the organs back and recompiling the body. It's not a game of operation, right? We're not just putting the... There would be no reason for them to do that. (laughs) Now, there was an investigation when this came out because the family was very upset and people kind of got up in arms and it was spread out. This is a big thing. State investigators said that there was no wrongdoing. They had done the right thing and they sent the body to the funeral home. Dr. Anderson continued his examination with the body and said that by the jaw, they identified a hemorrhage, which had not been documented in the original autopsy. And this was located near the carotid sinus, which controls blood pressure. And he said it appeared to have been caused by blunt force trauma to that area. And the paramedics on scene had noticed bruising to the right side of the jaw, but it was not identified as the cause of death or as a prevalent part. Yes. Now, this led to a federal investigation, a formal review into what had happened. And this was eight months after the death. And the family felt that this was a very big victory. Yeah. That the case was was being kind of reexamined. And I do want to talk about this a little bit because sure. there's a lot with, with Dr. Anderson. Yes. So you can watch a video where he kind of talks about his findings. Mm-hmm. And he determined that Kendrick died of that blunt force trauma to the right yes. neck. That was yes. his determination. But he points out that that's... It's a two to three centimeter bruise that makes him think this. Mm-hmm. This hemorrhage, it's small. Yeah. And I am not a, a forensic pathologist. Yes. But I do not think that a two to three centimeter bruise is necessarily definitive proof of blunt force trauma. Sure. <laughs> yes. And I will just yeah also point out that Dr. Anderson is... He has been fired from the state of Florida for unprofessional and unethical actions. So yes. I, that is also conveniently left out a lot of yes. times when this is talked about. So Dr. Anderson, um, it's always tricky with a private autopsy, right? Like, it, you know, you, you hire this person and in his interviews, he is what I would describe nicely as someone with a lot of quirks and weird energy. Um, In my not nicer uh, way to say it, I would probably say like, he's really freaking weird and kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies a little bit. So, yeah. yeah. The other thing that I want to point out is that a big part of the reason why the federal investigation and the Department of Justice agree to do this formal review is because there was a lot of advocacy 
from the NAACP and the SCLC, which is the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And those two organizations were very largely responsible for pushing for this to happen. There are a lot of of advocates in this case, advocates for the family, advocates for Kendrick, like... Yes. And it brought forth a lot of, a lot of that, a lot of that support. And I think it brings kind of conflicting feelings for me on it because I think it's easy to say, well, this investigation wouldn't have happened. They wouldn't have taken another look at it if there wasn't a good reason to think that there had been wrongdoing or that, right. You know, the original results of the autopsy were wrong, but I think that because there was political pressure from the NAACP and the SCLC, I I think that 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 played a large role and it does change things. Whether that's right or wrong, I do think that that played a role. Yes, I I agree with that. investigation started moving forward, students from the school were being subpoenaed, and this is where we begin to hear about the Bell brothers. Now, Brian Bell and Kendrick played football together, and according to Brian, they were friends. They talk about this time that Brian and Kendrick had gotten into a fight on a school bus coming back from a playoff game. Now, Malik said he remembered that fight because he was sitting in the seat in front of them and that Brian had grabbed Kendrick by the dreadlocks and that Kendrick reacted by getting into a physical altercation with Brian. It seemed like during this fight on the bus that Kendrick was the winner of the fight. I don't, you know, I don't like violence. And so calling it a winner, uh, you know, But that's how his friends described it, that Kendrick was the winner of the fight and that Brian did not take that very well. So on the way back from that playoff game, they actually got Kendrick off the bus and he rode the rest of the way in the deputy's car. Brandon Bell is Brian's brother. And, you know, according to the documentary, he would walk around telling people at school that, quote, it wasn't over. And that's just according to several students that were there. At the school. Now, and I do just want to point out, this is the story that is presented in the documentary. Yes. Other sources have told a very different story. Yes. That this fight happened a year before Kendrick's death and that they were all friends after. And many students have said that. So it does become kind of the rumor game. And especially when you're talking about high school students are saying yes. this information that's a l- where we're getting a lot of this and i think it gets yeah. into really dangerous territory because some blogs yeah. and some podcasts really harp on the bell brothers here and they don't present the other side so yes. there are multiple stories here and i think that that's very important yes to and point out. according to brian they were friends he is interviewed and says that he considered kendrick one of his very good friends yeah. now rick bell is Brandon and Brian's dad. And he was an FBI agent. And according to Kendrick's dad, Kenneth, Kendrick told him that Rick Bell had approached him, that he had approached Kendrick, and said that the fight on the bus wasn't a fair fight and that he should come over to their house and refight Brian. And Rick Bell denies ever saying this. But that is the story that Kenneth said 
Kendrick told him. Now, Brandon and Brian were some of the only students that didn't get questioned by the police in the first round of interviewing students. And they're not the only ones. They're no. not the only ones. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think this is where we see, you know, you latch onto a little yes. piece of information and that sounds shady when you just say that. Yeah. Oh, they weren't interviewed. Yes. But then when yes. you think of how many students are in the school and how many people yes. would get questioned, also... There is video footage that shows that Brian was in a class at the time of Kendrick's death that took place on completely the other side of campus. And Brandon yeah. wasn't even there. He was on a wrestling trip. Yeah. Way away. They have pretty rock solid alibis. Very unshakable alibis, I would say, for yeah. two people whose names come up so often in a this lot, case. A lot, a lot. A lot. While the investigation was happening, it comes out that Rick Bell had been, you know, meeting with some of the students before they talked to investigators. And one of these students said that Rick Bell actually would come and like visit her at her job. And there's no way around that being creepy. No, this is super creepy. So the U.S. Marshals did raid the Bell house in the course of their investigation. And Karen Bell, the wife and mother, said that her husband was in good standing with the FBI. And in a media interview, Brian is asked if he had anything to do with the death. And he said no. And, you know, it's this moment where he's being interviewed and the interviewer says, I'm going to have my my videographer zoom in on your face because I want everyone to see how you react. Like he tells him this. And... I feel like if someone told me, I'm going to zoom in on your face, I would be really nervous about that. And from an outsider's perspective, it doesn't come off as honest or authentic when he says, no, he didn't have anything to do with the death because his face is right there in the camera, right? Like it's right there. It's super zoomed in. It comes off as very, ooh, like, I don't know if he's telling the truth, but would I feel the same way if they hadn't panned in on his face like that? I don't know. I don't know. Exactly. I don't and at know. At this point, I mean, this documentary is recent. It just came out in November, oh, yeah. I think. Yeah, it came out just a few months ago. These two boys have been drugged through the mud on the internet despite having video alibis, like rock yeah. solid alibis. And half of the internet thinks that they belong in jail. So... You know, I would yeah. be very, very nervous anyway, yeah. even if they oh, weren't yes. zooming in on my face. No, no. And again, you know, Brian described Kendrick as one of his good friends. And, you know, they, Brandon and Brian both say that they pray for justice for Kendrick. And I feel like, you know, they use photos of Brandon and Brian and footage of Brandon and Brian that you can make it seem like someone has a certain way about them or, you can take a picture and if you use it in this context, like, oh, he's just walking. He's just, you know, he's smiling. It's just normal. But then when you're like suspected of murdering someone and then you look at the picture, you're like, oh, that's a murder. You know, like it changes the way that you look at things based on the context that you're being given. And I do feel like with Brandon Bell, especially, it makes him seem like very tough guy, very macho, very, well, yeah, no, no, no we, to we totally pray for that, you know, and the way that 
you know, you're, you're kind of made to feel uncomfortable by it because of the context that you're seeing him in. Like it doesn't, they don't look great. They don't, you know, it just makes you feel weird watching the documentary. I was like, I feel weird. I don't know what I feel about these boys because I've, I want to believe that they are, you know, they're totally innocent, but the way that the, like the foot, it just makes you seem, it makes it seem suspicious, you know? Yeah. I, well, we'll get into our thoughts on, on the documentary and on the case in general later, but documentaries are made with a purpose. They're made to make you feel a certain way. Yes. And that is all I will say right now. (laughs) Yeah. If you'd like to support the podcast, get access to bonus content and extra mini true crime cases, plus get access to our exclusive Bath and Body Parts bath bombs, we'd love to have you join our Patreon as a soaker, super soaker, or bath bomber. Visit patreon.com slash bath and body parts to learn more. Lead investigators subpoenaed 120 students and parents to appear before a grand jury. And around this time, an anonymous email was sent to the police claiming to know what happened to Kendrick. Much of it is redacted because the students mentioned are minors. Now, this email alleges that a female student had sex with Kendrick while she was dating, quote, Joe, and that Kendrick had told, quote, Joe to meet him in the gym that day, and that Joe and Joe's friend met him and killed him, and that Joe had admitted to it more than once over the phone, which sounds like a bombshell. However, (laughs) police then said that the person who was responsible for these allegations was Dalton Ray Chauncey. And when they investigated this, they found that he had made the story up completely and he was actually arrested for false reporting. Now, Chauncey is bipolar and his mother is very critical of how this fell out. Sure. However, there's no way around the fact that he did make this story up. And again, the family took this as the police trying to silence Chauncey by putting an arrest on him and by taking him to jail. And um, especially Jackie says like they really wanted to hush him up, but nothing in the email was true. So, you know, but, and I just want to point out that, this man is not named in the documentary. Yes. I feel like there's a pointed reason why when yes. this information is out there. Yes. They say he was being silenced. He was being silenced. They they tried to silence that boy, you know. Yeah. Now, during the course of the investigation, the U.S. Attorney General in charge of the case, Michael Moore, suddenly resigned. And Jackie said that they had ran him scared. Now, Attorney generals are in charge of a lot of things. So, and could have a million reasons to resign. All of Moore's cases, though, went to his successor except for Kendrick's, which was now moved from Georgia to Ohio, which is a little odd. Yes. And three and a half years after Kendrick was found dead, it came out that no federal charges were going to be found in the case. And I will point out that the SCLC throughout this whole time was conducting their own investigation, and they also came to the conclusion that Kendrick's death was an accident. Now, Kendrick's family met with members of the Department of Justice who said that they did not have enough evidence to prove what happened beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, his father took that to mean they're not saying they don't have any evidence. They're not saying they have no evidence of something 
you know, of a crime having been committed. Like he's interpreting that as they just don't have enough, but they know. And according to Jackie and Kenneth, the Department of Justice said that the shoe at Kendrick's body, you know, the shoe that did not have any blood on it that was found was planted. I have so much skepticism, honestly, that they said that. And I don't yes. want to accuse anyone of lying. I think that things no. can be misinterpreted. Yes. Especially if emotions are high. Exactly. And I feel like this meeting with members of the Department of Justice, I would be interested to know from a representative from their side how this conversation went down. Um, I do feel like it's not common for them to say that type of stuff to a family. Yes. Now, seven judges recused themselves in the Kendrick Johnson case. And again, this is more fuel to the fire for the family that something is being covered up. Something is, something is not right. And the documentary creators ask the family if it wasn't the kids of an FBI agent, meaning Brandon and Brian Bell, as the main suspects in this case, would seven judges have recused themselves? To which Jackie replies, well, would Michael Moore have resigned if it wasn't an FBI agent's children or anything like that? And again, I don't know why seven judges recused themselves from the case. I don't know why Michael Moore resigned, but all of these things are fuel to the family's fire. Now, Kenneth claims that the Department of Justice told him that Rick Bell was going to be forced to resign from the FBI and that they weren't going to lock him up or fire him. And again, I don't know that they would just tell him that. Um, it did end up being that Rick Bell did resign from the FBI, but I don't know if Kenneth was aware that that was going to happen before it did happen. I don't know. Yes. I don't know what happened in, in that meeting. And I think that the family has been through so much. And yes, I just feel like the things that they say that happened in that meeting are just unlikely to have happened. It just seems very, it seems very unlikely for an official meeting like that to have these things and these pieces of information being given so freely. Yeah. That just doesn't seem like it would have happened that way. Now, the Johnson family pushed again for an exhumation. So Kendrick was exhumed again for a third autopsy. And they're really hoping to figure out what had happened. Let's point out that they, they're they getting a third autopsy, but they're hiring Dr. Anderson again to do the, to do the third one. Yes. So he did the second one and the third one, not someone else. Right. Now, Dr. Anderson contacted the medical examiner in Georgia and the state attorney. And he says that their response he got was basically that they were not interested in seeing his slides and photos. Again, this is Dr. Anderson, who has been fired from the state of Florida. Yes. So just yep. tossing that information yep. out there, do with it what you will. He is adamant that in the photos and slides, the hemorrhage is clear and very offended that they didn't want to see his information. Yeah. And I I looked at these photos of his slides and I don't know what a hemorrhage looks like, but it is there is red. I'm not sure what I'm looking at, but it's bloody and it's big and you know. There's absolutely it's red. a visible bruise <laughs> yes. of some sort. Um, yes. there's no way around that. 
again, whether a neck bruise can be responsible for blunt force trauma, can be a sign of, of a death blow. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. According to the documentary, this, yes. Th- in the documentary, they say that they were able to get hold of an unredacted FBI report about the missing footage from the CCTV, where they were able to see a frame where Kendrick and Brian Bell were standing almost next to each other. And Brian had said that he had not seen Kendrick at all that day. And when Kendrick's parents were shown this frame, they say that it shows that they were right all along. And this this photo, this frame, they're in the same frame. They're not walking side by side. So Kendrick is, they say, maybe like 10 feet away from Brian. He's in front of him, but to the side. And again, fuel for the family's fire. Well, Brian's in this picture and he said he hadn't seen Kendrick. Is it possible that he was walking behind him? They're not going the same direction. You're walking in a hallway at school and you don't really notice everyone around. Like, you're not walking side by side in step with them, right? Like, I don't always pay attention to who's around me when I'm walking the halls at work. So, yeah. I mean, you can think about it both ways. And again, what is conveniently left out of the documentary is that there was CCTV footage placing Brian in a completely different part of the campus at right. the time that Kendrick right. was entering the gym. And this frame that they're that they're referencing was from that morning at like 10 a.m. Like it was right. hours before. So. so it seems not like a smoking gun again. Yes. I just, I, I feel like there's a reason why this bombshell is not being reported everywhere other than this yes. one documentary where they yes. have reported this. Yes. Now, when asked what they think will happen when this information is released, Jackie said that they would claim that someone had photocropped it, even though it was in an official FBI report. And in the report, the page after the photo was a grid describing all the frames. And in their own report, it says that Johnson and Bell were together on frame. So she said, even though they're making this, this is the FBI's footage. This is the FBI's description of these frames. They're still going to say that we created these photos to make it look like we are proving the point. Like they're going to come out and go against their own factual report is what she's saying. Yes. And I feel like the documentary filmmakers are maybe not the most legitimate. And so I don't know, even if this is in the official FBI report and they are the best investigators in the world and somehow got this information out to me again, as we just said, it's not a smoking gun. And they don't talk about how they got it. Like in the documentary, they say, we were able to obtain. So I don't know. Yes. I'm not accusing them of anything. No. Because I do not want to be sued. (laughs) No. But I don't know the process of obtaining unredacted reports from the FBI. I would not know what to do. So they don't, they don't describe how they did it. But you know, it, it, it is what the documentary filmmakers told the family. And so the family does wonder if there's more information out there that has not been seen. And now rumors around this case fly. There are students who say that there was this ongoing feud. There are students who say that 
Kendrick and Brian were good friends and that the fight was just a little blip that had happened a long time before. One of Kendrick's good friends, Austin, falls on the side of seeming to believe that the Bell Brothers had something to do with it. And he said in the documentary, quote, I think it was a fight in the gym, but not one-on-one. He couldn't have taken Kendrick on by himself. And so in the documentary, they posed the question of if you flip the script and one of the Bell Brothers had died, would we see the same handling of this case? Any student who was white, would we see the same mistakes that were made in this handling of this case? Because regardless of what people think happened, we do know that there were mistakes made in the evidence gathering, in the handling of the crime scene. Body was moved. Coroner wasn't called until five hours. Like there were definitely big missteps and I don't know if that would be different if it was anybody else other than Kendrick. I I would hope not, but I I I hope that this situation never happened. You know, right. like I I think that there's no way to deny that it would have been different. And that doesn't impact how I feel about the case itself. Sure. Whether or not you believe that this was an accident, whether or not you believe that this was murder or what have you. It is undeniable to say that if a white student had a somewhat suspicious death where there's a lot of online fuel to this belief, whether that's right or wrong, whether it's accurate or not. I think about the Gabby Petito, the the white woman who was missing and her boyfriend had ended up murdering her out on their van trip. I mean, that was all over the TV. It was everywhere. All over. There is a difference in the way that the media and the way that the public address situations with people of color and with white people. And that's just all there is to it. It doesn't always mean that there's something there. Yeah. In the case of a person of color, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't care if it's a white person. Right. But the truth is that they are approached differently. Yes. And I think that that is an element of this case that even though I think you can probably tell as listening which side I fall on, which we'll talk about in a minute, being a person of color does play into the way that the media pays attention or does not pay attention to cases. Yes. Now, in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020, Kendrick Johnson's case has garnered new interest. In the summer of 2020, 1.7 million people had signed an online petition to have the case reopened. So, you know, the documentary does talk a lot about how the Black Lives Movement has kind of changed the way that people are thinking about cases that have happened in the last few years when the victims have been people of color, especially men. And, you know, Kendrick was 17 years old. He was this young man, high school student. I understand why it's gathering new interest. Yes. Now, in the documentary, I liked the fact that at the end, the filmmakers asked the family to say anything they wanted to Kendrick or anything that they've learned. And Kenyatta talks about how... You know, if you have a sibling, like tell them you love them every day 
and she looks in the camera and she says, you know, that she loves Kendrick and that she's going to be okay. The family is going to be okay. They won't stop until they feel like they've gotten justice. And it's, you know, the family is so, so deeply affected by this and having that moment of like, we're going to be okay. It was, it was, it was a nice moment. Now, in March of 2021, Kendrick's case was officially reopened in Georgia. And again, the main source for our episode is the documentary Finding Kendrick Johnson. The makers of the documentary said that they had been investigating the case for four years. And what they really wanted to do was bring a human element to the case. And so they were very selective of who they chose to interview. In the documentary, it's Kenneth, it's Jackie, it's his aunt Lydia. If there's another aunt, um, Kenyatta, and briefly his grandmother. So they said that they picked only people who were super, super close to him in his family. Even though he has a pretty large family, they didn't interview any of his brothers or anything like that. And I I do feel like the footage of the family talking to Kendrick and the photos of him from when he was young, like it really does bring that perspective of this was a human being. This was a young man with a very bright future who died too soon. He did. And his family is still reeling from that loss every day. So let's get into it. Okay. (laughs) Let's get into it. I feel like this case is one of those that is going to get a lot of people talking about what they think. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I said, we don't tend to pick cases that are open-ended or unsolved. And we tend to do that because it, it makes for more clear storytelling. But cases like this, I do feel like are important because they do get people talking. Mm -hmm. And especially for an underrepresented in the crime world community, I think it's important. I will say that before I watched the documentary and the first time I ever heard about this case, I couldn't even figure out like how I felt about it because I was so traumatized from the photos (laughs) and I was so just saddened by the fact that this was someone so young and whatever happened to Kendrick, I feel sad for everyone that knew him. I feel like he deserved a longer life and it is very sad and very tragic what happened to him. And I agree with that. I... I tried to be as unbiased in telling the story as possible as yes. you did as well. Yes. My personal belief is that this was a tragic accident that he made the choice to try and crawl in the top. Yeah. Found himself stuck, probably panicked, and yeah. couldn't get himself out. And that positional asphyxiation was the cause yeah. of his death. I think that when something unexpected and tragic happens to you. It is human nature to look for an explanation. And I read somewhere once that, I think it was actually in regards to this case, that being angry is easier than being sad. And it's a a coping mechanism to try and search for answers and to put on the face of anger to sort of protect yourself from grief. And I feel so bad for Kendrick's family. I, I really do. But I do not believe that there is a massive cover-up in this case. 
they did handle the crime scene poorly. Yeah. I don't think that there's a way around that. I think that the coroner's report confirms that. Yeah. However, I think that the original autopsy called it correctly. And I don't think that this is the massive cover up that the internet rabbit hole would have us to sure. believe. Sure. I still don't really know what I think. <laughs> like, I. I don't know. I feel very conflicted about my own feelings on this case. And I think because I saw those pictures and I like, I shouldn't have looked up the pictures because I was, I was younger then, you know, <laughs> like, and I, I feel like someone knows something and I don't know if it's that someone knows that he was murdered on accident. I don't know if someone knows that he fell in by himself and like, I just, whatever happened to him is a horrible way to die. Oh, absolutely. I think it's it's horrifying, which is another reason why I think that the internet is fascinated with this case yes. and wants yes. a different explanation, right? Yes, yes. If findings do come out in the new uh, reopening of this case, if findings do come out that it was an accident, I would totally believe that if findings come out that there was foul play I would also totally believe that like I I don't know how I feel about this case all I know is that I feel like someone may know something and I hope that his family with the case being reopened I hope they do get very clear answers because I'm sure that living with that kind of uncertainty and that anger is exhausting and taxing on any on anybody and for the whole family to be experiencing that trauma. I hope that they are able to get to a point where they don't have to live in that state. I agree with that. I, and I think that it's, it's very tragic for them. Yes. And I understand why they are pushing yeah. and continuing to carry it out. Yeah. But I hope that they're able to find peace and yes. assuming that this, new investigation goes the way that I believe that it will go based on the evidence. I hope that they're able to find closure and accept yes. the answers that they're given. They do firmly believe that there is a, a large scale cover up. Yeah. To me, if there was a cover up, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around how this played out. The idea that yes, I feel like this poor Bell brothers are just lamb blasted all over the internet and they have full alibis. Yeah. And their children. Yes. So many people, so many witnesses in this case, so many people that are interviewed or talked to are They're children. Young kids. They're young kids. Like we've said with high school students. High school is just a rumor mill altogether, exactly. right? High school, it's a community. And within there, stuff goes around. Rumors go around. You know, public enemy number one type of stuff goes around. Like people start feeling suspicious of others. This is... You just put one one little rumor out there and people can go with it. And we have to remember like, these are kids. <laughs> these are kids. And... It should. It just shouldn't have happened. No. I do want to talk a little bit about we we kind of touched on like the systemic racism that happens in law in pursuing cases in handling of cases in the attention given to cases. And I'm glad that you brought up you know when when Gabby went missing because even people who weren't interested in true crime everybody knew about this case mm -hmm. right. And 
I wish that we could make it so that everybody got that same kind of attention in situations. And so I want us to bring to light cases like this one, even though it's messy and this one is hard because it's still open-ended. I want to get that attention back so that we can be mindful of how we are treating victims of color in their cases, you know, and I I hope that we're able to do that. And and before we close out, I do want to talk a little bit about the ethics of true crime documentaries, which we also touched on. Yes. I think that it is so important as people who are interested in true crime, as podcasters, but even to our listeners and our community, it is so important to understand when you hear a podcast, when you watch a documentary, when you read an article, you are missing information. And we at Bath and Body Parts try to do a very good job of not adding fuel to the fire and presenting just the facts and then, you know, giving our opinions. But it is so, so important, especially with these documentaries and the way that they are now. I'm going to say after yes. the staircase and making a murderer came yes. out, it's just been documentary after documentary after documentary. And everyone's trying to find a, a false confession or a wrongful conviction or yes, a big controversy. And there is an intention behind that. Sometimes that's to sell a story. Sometimes that's to make money. Sometimes it's to be famous. Sometimes it's to help somebody. And even that can be misguided. If the makers of this documentary really and truly believe this was a cover-up and they really and truly believe that Kendrick Johnson was murdered and they want to help the family, I don't fault them for that. But you have to understand that when you tell a story and you leave information out, that is lying. To a degree. And and as consumers of true crime material, we have to be aware of that. And we have to go do that extra research. And we have to understand that you can't just take one source and think that that is going to be the honest truth. There are so many articles about Kendrick Johnson. There's so much out there from reputable news sources. And it's a lot of times conflicting information and it's hard. It's hard. It's This is not the only case where we see this. It happens all the time where it's hard for us even sometimes to even get the research done and present the facts. And, you know, by no means are we saying like, when you're listening to our podcast, we're the number one way for you to get your information. No, like we no. encourage our listeners to do more research and actually like, if you hear a case that interests you and then you go and you find resources and material on the case. That to me is great because we're informing you, but we're not trying to be the only source of true crime info. You know, we just want our listeners to be aware that we do our best to present sides of information that we can get both sides, multiple sides, lots of information. And sometimes it is messy. And we hope that you can then take that and you know, take our information, make your own decisions, make your make your own opinions. And, you know, we're definitely interested in hearing what you guys think about this case because it is so... It, it's just... A, it's a tricky one. It's, it's a really tricky, tricky one. And people feel very strongly on either side. And yeah, yeah we just... We want to know what you think. 
So now it's time for self-care and prepare. All right. So my self-care tip is starting a gratitude journal. So I am a sucky journalist. I get so cringed out by my own writing. I cannot do free form long journaling. I can't do it because then what happens is I write all this stuff and then the next day I cannot help but go back and reread. And I know you're not supposed to do that, but then I just cringe at myself, right? And I'm just like, oh, I sound just so stupid, you know? <laughs> and so I've tried to be a journaler because I know that it helps to get your feelings out. It helps to get your, your, you know, you can process through things with yourself. But this year I decided to do a gratitude journal where each day I just write down three things that I was thankful for that day. And they can be such simple things. Like on one day, I'm like, I'm grateful for the meal that I had. Uh, I'm thankful for time to watch an extra episode of a TV show. I'm thankful for my blanket. Like it's just super easy stuff that I just think about so that when I have hard days and busy days and stressful days, I can look at that and still remind myself like, hey, things are really, you know, I have a lot of things to be thankful for. And it just has helped me this year. And I, you know, there are days I miss and then I just maybe will write four Mm -hmm. things the next time I write. But it kind of helps to alleviate the pressure of like, I got a journal every day and read all these things. But it just helps me to remember that sometimes I get, you know, stressed out. And then I'm like, okay, well, I have things that are good in my life. And and I will say, I don't have, I don't keep a a gratitude journal. I'm not good at at keeping journals. I'm a writer for my, my day job is being a writer. And so sometimes writing for myself is like, working away from work. Yes. So I don't like yes. to do it, but I'm a big advocate for gratitude and gratitude practice. Yeah. It actually studies have shown it changes your brain. Yes. And yes. so even if you're listening and you're like, uh, I don't want to do a gratitude journal. I do name out three things to myself every day that I'm yeah. grateful for. Yeah. And uh, you know, you don't have to write it down, but writing it down is also yeah. very helpful. Plus you get to get a pretty journal, which is always nice. Yes. And so fun. Cool pens, which we're yes. a big fan of. <laughs> got some colored flare pens. I got you some know. new pens this week and I was like, it's like new pens. That's how you know we're day. like adults because we're like excited about our stationery. <laughs> <laughs> but it really does just help, uh, especially with the stress that we've all been, you know, going through collectively, it's nice to take a moment and just think about what's going well. And my prepared tip is to just always stand up for what is right. And through your actions, you know, change can be possible. And regardless of, in this case, what we think actually happened to Kendrick, what is evident is that his family never stopped advocating for him. And it did create a lot of interest in his case and it got a lot of attention. And so it is clear that they followed through with something that they believed. And that's how we've, you know, garnered interest and then things snowballed from there. So even on a small scale, just standing up for what you know is right. That's my prepare tip. It'll help you and it can cause change. Okay, Soakers, we're going to leave it here for today. Tune in with us next week to hear another tale of true crime. Until then, self-care for the best, prepare for the worst, but most importantly, take care of yourself. We'll catch you next time on Bath and Body Parts. Bye!
shirts, mugs, fanny packs, towels, and more at bathandbodypartspodcast.com slash merch. If you'd like to support the show and get access to VIP perks like ad-free content, early access to episodes, and extra episodes each month, along with special segments and exclusive merch, including the Bath and Body Parts Bath Bomb, you can become a soaker, super soaker, or bath bomber on our Patreon. Just visit patreon.com slash bathandbodyparts to get started.